how's it going? Welcome to Screen Speaks. It is the podcast that is all about movies, life, and so much more. I'm Jordan Anderson, and <laughs> I don't know why I started it like that. Uh, I'm Jordan Anderson. This is my podcast, and I, I really appreciate you taking the time to come by and give this show a listen. If you haven't done it already, go ahead and hit the follow button, download episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, and Google Podcasts. You can check out the YouTube channel called ScreenSpeak, check out exclusive clips that I'll post on there of the show, and you can also check out the the podcast Instagram page, uh, simply titled at ScreenSpeak Podcast, and that will give you all the podcast goodness that you are looking for if you follow one or all of those uh, options that I laid out to you. So please go ahead and do one or all of those, and that would be much appreciated. Okay, so I am here on on today's episode. I'm going to be talking all about uh, if I could if I could call this movie a guilty pleasure. Maybe I would. I don't really, you know, truthfully told, I don't really believe in guilty pleasures. But this one, I I suppose, would make the argument for it. It's Armageddon. Armageddon. Uh, which I, when even when I say Armageddon, I actually think of Charlton Heston's voice. Uh, I think a lot of people actually forget that he's a narrator in the opening of the movie, but Armageddon. Uh, I don't know, that that's <laughs> that's actually not a good Charlton, uh, uh, Charlton Heston impression. Um, I, I suppose, may, may, you know what, I'll, I'm going to throw in a clip of him. I'm going to throw in a clip of Charlton Heston in his epic, epic voice right now. This is the Earth. At a time when the dinosaurs roamed a lush and fertile planet. There you have it. That's him. That's Charlton Heston. Uh, but anywho, uh, so Armageddon. It is a really fun time for a movie. I, I gotta be truly honest with you. When I think of Armageddon, I think of all the fun summer disaster popcorn merits that the movie has. Um Certainly a movie that split critics uh, critics and audiences alike, which I'll get to that in a moment. But let's go ahead and take a look at the synopsis for the movie. So, here we go. When an asteroid threatens to collide with Earth, NASA honcho... Why do they, why do they call him a honcho? I don't know. NASA honcho Dan Truman, played by Billy Bob Thornton, determines the only way to stop it is to drill into its surface and detonate a nuclear bomb. This leads him to renowned driller Harry Stamper, played by Bruce Willis when he gave a shit, who agrees to help the dangerous space mission provided pr- provided that he can bring along his own hotshot crew. Among them is is the cocksure. What what does that even mean? I I, I well we're gonna come back to that in a second. The the cocksure AJ played by Ben Affleck, who Harry thinks isn't good enough for his daughter, played by Liv Tyler, until the mission proves otherwise. Uh, okay, I, I'm, I'm stuck on whatever they just described Ben Affleck as in this movie, uh, according to the, the Google synopsis for this. So let's, let me take a look here. What, what does this mean? Cocksure definition. Let's see. Uh, well, apparently it's... Uh, wait, let's see. Is there not, like, just a straight-up definition? I mean, I, I get what it's saying. It's saying it's an adjective for saying that it has something to do with being arrogant, conceited, uh, overconfident, overweening, cocky, smug. Uh, sure. Yeah, I, I suppose that describes Ben Affleck well in this movie. Sorry about that. Did not mean to get distracted, but that is not exactly a word that you hear every day in the English language. Um, okay. <clears throat> so, Armageddon came out on June 30th of 1998. It's directed by Michael Bay, and this movie has, I would, I mean, honestly, I would say, like, this movie has a, a hell of a cast. I mean, like, when you think of ensemble casts, like, there is such a great, great pool of people in this movie. I'm just gonna, I'm gonna name them off. We got Bruce Willis, Ben Affleck, Liv Tyler, Steve Buscemi, Billy Bob Thornton, Owen Wilson, William Fickner, Michael Clark Duncan, The Green Mile, hello, Peter Stormare, uh, which I'm going to get to Peter Stormare a little bit later on in this episode. Uh, I want to give him credit for something he does not get enough credit for. And there's Will Patton, David, uh, Keith David, Jason Isaacs for a little bit, Chris Ellis, super underrated character actor, and then I mentioned Charlton Heston as uh, the, the narrator. I believe just in the introduction of the movie. I, I don't think that he actually makes a, a return for the rest of the movie. But... Interestingly enough, when I when I look at Armageddon, especially 
I guess how it's viewed today because well hang on let, let me let me backpedal here so I think critically when it came out now I, I'm not for sure certain uh, I was born in 91 1998 I guess I'm like seven seven eight uh, some, something along those something along those lines and I, I'm pretty sure the movie didn't like do super well with critics but it did well with audiences and now that Rotten Tomatoes is a thing, we can always go back and, and take a look and, and see how the critics were, were viewing something at the time, see how audiences feel about it. And Armageddon, to me, when you're looking at the, the age-old argument that will happen between a, a wide appealing movie versus a critically acclaimed one is who's you know correct, the critics or the audience. Uh, in this case, the critics, they were saying that Armageddon's got a 38% rating. Uh, and then the audience actually gave it a score of 73%. So there's there's clearly quite a, a large gap in between the two. Um, I'll, I guess I should go ahead and weigh in on how I feel about that, right? That, that, that's what you expect when I bring up that argument. You're like, well, what's your opinion? Okay, I will tell you my opinion. Um, I'm going to lean towards the audience on this. I think critics understandably so I get where some of their critiques come from this movie I I've seen it you know several times now since the movie's come out uh, I own it on blu-ray actually and I, I it's actually been a while since I rewatched it some sometimes I'll actually watch uh, watch or rewatch a movie before um, I hit record on these things but I remember this movie very very well so I can just I can just rattle it off the top so that's what I'm doing um I will say, from a critic standpoint, there's definitely some problems. Uh, there's a lot of, I don't want to say like choppy editing, but it does seem like the story itself or the writing of it is fairly chopped together. Uh, that's one thing I remember about it, that there's just, there's transitions and scenes that just seem to happen like relatively quickly, uh, which I guess is understandable because they're trying to cram a lot of things into this movie. They have to do the whole... I mean, the disaster side of it with the the, the, uh, the meteor coming to Earth, and then you have to do the whole, okay, well, what are the people on Earth going to do about it? How do you get the crew together to go ahead and try to stop the threat? There's the training of the crew. You have to develop them as characters so that they're not just a, you know, nameless crew. You have to actually care about them. Uh, so there's a lot of a lot of moving pieces, I feel like, to a movie like this, and so... I guess just based on the movie's runtime and, and, you know, probably it just trying to be a more widely appealing movie, um, Michael Bay and the, the team behind Armageddon, Jerry Brockheimer, etc. Uh, I think they likely, you know, they maybe could have uh, stretched some of those things out further or, um, you know, maybe given things a bit more weight here and there, but that's not the kind of movie I feel like they were trying to make. They were trying to make a, a fun but impactful disaster movie, or at least that's how that's how I interpret it as anyway. Uh, but so I talked about some of like the choppy editing, the uh, quick cuts, things like that. Uh, I guess I would also say that eh, like some of the logic behind this movie. I mean, you I think you always run into that with movies like this, movies that are dealing with disaster and heightened realities and whatnot. You're dealing uh, with having to suspend your belief from time to time. Uh, and, and Armageddon certainly does that. I mean, like, I don't really know if I would buy in real life that NASA's one hope would be to go get a team of oil of oil riggers or drillers, whatever the term is, and get them to go on there uh, up into an asteroid to drop a nuclear bomb into it with next to no training. I don't know if that's really necessarily like a plausible thing, but... The movie seems to have enough realism in there from time to time. It's flashy enough, and it's 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 got a nice mix of the both. That uh, you know what, like, eh, I'm entertained, and also I think the the cast really complements a lot of the movie, even in some of the area's shortcomings. That that really makes up for some of the either you know bad writing, uh, plot conveniences, choppy editing, uh, and, and then just you know. What what else would I say about it? That, that I'm I'm trying to side with the critics on this a little bit, but honestly, no. Like I, I I still like the audience on this, so yeah. You know what, critics? I gave you your due. I I said what I think what I think you got right about this movie, but ultimately, I think the audience is actually right in this one. I'm gonna tell you why uh, in just a second here. <clears throat> so, 
Why do I think the audience is right on this movie in the long run? One, now say what you will about Michael Bay as a director, but the guy is a very good visual filmmaker, especially when it comes to special effects-driven films. And Armageddon is obviously a movie, maybe not obviously, but it is a movie that complements special effects well. I mean, you're dealing with an asteroid that is coming to space, is a very heightened situation that you want to have spectacle and awe to it so i guess i would like to have a filmmaker that is comfortable uh putting that on the screen versus somebody that may want to go for a more subtle approach it's not to say that that it, that it would not work uh but i think it would ultimately make for a different movie uh and that's not really going to be the armageddon that that i know and love <laughs> i'm sure i'm sure somebody out there is going to be like oh my gosh I lost so much respect that this guy is really adamantly going out of his way to defend Armageddon. But yeah, well, here I am and here you are listening to me defend it. So uh, there, there you go. You, you take that for what you will. Um, also, on the subject of the audience being correct about it, I mean, again, I, I got to keep going back to the cast. The cast for this movie is fantastic. They have so much great camaraderie with one another. They got good wit. They're fun. Uh, they all have so much distinct, different, diverse personalities that it's, it's really hard not to like a lot of the people that are in this movie. Uh, but again, I'm, I'm going to dedicate more of this episode to the cast a bit later on here. Uh, another thing I wanted to talk about just when I think about Armageddon is, is just the subject of like big summer movies. You know, I mean, granted, 1998, it's a different time. I mean, this is this is shortly around the time when, like, movies like Independence Day were coming out. And, like, a director like Roland Emmerich was, uh, I would say, probably arguably at the height of his talents. Uh, he, I mean, Roland Emmerich is a fantastic uh, disaster filmmaker. You know, Independence Day, The Day After Tomorrow, uh, 2012... Uh, what's, what, what, what is another disaster movie? I guess he did the Independence Day sequel, but we don't talk about that. But that's not the point. I'm not here to talk about Roland Emmerich, uh, Roland Emmerich or his movies. I'm here to talk about Armageddon. Um, I, I, I guess I think I, I like big summer movies or at least when that was a thing, uh, in, in COVID times now, I don't really think it is so much of a thing that, you know, there, there's a whole other, whole other segment or multiple series of episodes I could put out on how streaming is affecting, uh, the theatrical experience, etc. But long winded, I, I was a bit long winded there. I got to admit people, I got to admit, but summer movies, Summer movies, I think at one point, especially in the height of 1998, that was still a thing. You know, like it would be expected that a big uh, special effects driven, uh, you know, somewhat mindless movie would come out in the middle of the summer that would just be pure escapism in its finest form. And that's what I think of with a movie like Armageddon, honestly. And I don't think it's a bad thing. I think certain movies like that, they have their place uh, and they and they merit an audience and, and they're good fun. And Armageddon is a movie that I think, in all honesty, is good fun. It's imperfect, yes, but it is a good time. I mean, I, I challenge I challenge a lot of people to watch a, like this movie and just act like they can really sit through it and just be like, you know what, I I find this movie rather rather pretentious. Like, do I really think that Bruce Willis would come? Come down from his ivory oil castle and save save us lowly humans from the asteroid. I <laughs> uh, that would be my uh, very very opinionated and dry and uh, humor humorless uh, pretentious critic. If you could see me, uh, I'm doing that uh, that that thing from the the SNL sketch with Alec Baldwin. He is impersonating a think it's a reviewer it's it's some personality with glasses he shakes his his glasses on his nose he's like huh huh uh somebody will know from that bad description i just gave what the hell i'm talking about but that's the that is the visual i bring to mind when i'm thinking of somebody that's going to shit on a movie like armageddon for just trying to be simply a fun movie uh at least that's how i look at it maybe i'm maybe i'm defending it a little too much or or giving it more credit than it's worth, but 
long long story short here folks i side with the audience on this over over critics so there you go um and as far as big summer movies go i like it it's fun I definitely think it's one of the the better summer movies that I, I tend to to gravitate towards if I think of them. I, I you know I mentioned some of uh, Roland Emmerich's movies on there. I, I suppose today the the big summer movie could arguably be considered Marvel movies, uh, though they're not always strictly just released in the summer. But I think you get my point. Uh, big summer movies tend to fall into a category like Armageddon, and I think they have their place. Um, you know, even if it is during like popcorn season or just a just just escape, just escape into a movie like Armageddon, you're gonna have a good time. Okay, I'm gonna talk about the cast. Got to talk about the cast. So, I mean, first off, you have Bruce Willis in the lead, and this is back, you know, when Bruce Willis was prime Bruce Willis, uh, making great choices, doing some good projects, actually giving a shit, not like straight to DVD Bruce Willis that we know and love. I don't, I'm, I'm sure somebody likes some of those works that he does. I, I think he just released some one, what is it called? Like pr- Primal Target starring Bruce Willis. Uh, I don't know. I'm actually really fascinated. Uh, I mean, honestly, if I think about Bruce Willis's career and where it's gone, or I, I should say where it's going, which it seems to be lately going into the dumpster, but to give him credit, and I promise I'll get back to the cast, is, you know, the guy may be making arguably mostly dumpster movies now, not even like a so bad it's good like Nicolas Cage does for some of his movies, but a lot of a lot of his movies he's just really showing a lack of caring and things like that. But that said, at least the guy can look back on a majority of his career, I would say with pride, uh, and be happy about the bulk of the work that he did being good. So that's nice, I guess, but... Uh, if I was him, I would start trying to make more uh, interesting, uh, interesting creative choices rather than doing some of the things he does. But hey, maybe he sees it as being uh, a very creative choice, being in some straight to the Walmart bin movie like Primal Target or whatever his latest movie is. Um, anyway, sorry, Bruce. I love you. Uh, would love to talk to you sometime, but not about uh, probably like most recent movies you've done in like the last like five years. We could maybe talk about Glass. You want to talk about Glass? As if you're actually listening to this. But hey, if you want to talk about Glass, we can talk about that. I like that. Uh, Unbreakable sequel. Gosh. Okay. <laughs> Sorry. You're probably... Anyone that's listening to this is just like, wow. Like his his mind races quickly sometimes when it comes to movies. But hey... Uh, it's, it's true. It does sometimes. And it's just, just be just me being me. I, you know, it, it is what it is. We're, we're going to continue. This is a, this episode's, this is an interesting one. Ah, <laughs> uh, why did I do that? Okay. I don't know. It, I'll be honest. I'm recording this a little bit later at night, but it's okay. We're, we're, we're gonna, we're gonna keep going. Let's, let's keep going. All right. So Bruce Willis, he's Harry Stamper. Uh, he's kind of got a strange accent, I guess. Like, hey, he's trying to do like I guess his best play at being like a roughneck, uh, blue collar guy, uh, southern draw or something. I'll admit, I'm no expert on accents, but his accent is a bit funny in the movie. But hey, he's Bruce Willis. He's got that likable snarkiness about him and kind of sarcastic wit. But he's a man's man, uh, and and he's he's I mean he's a badass guy. Like, when Bruce Willis was in his prime, the guy was pretty badass, and he played a lot of really likable, tough people, uh, so he, he fit the mold pretty well as Harry Stamper. Uh, and then you got Ben Affleck as AJ, the guy that is sleeping with his daughter, that is played by Liv Tyler, we'll get to her in a second. Uh, ben Affleck, he's cool. Uh, I, li- I like Ben Affleck in a lot of movies, and in this movie, am I going to act like he's... I don't know, like, given his greatest performance in the world? No, probably not, but I enjoyed him. Uh, you know, he's... What, what can I say about Ben Affleck in this movie? He's cocky. He's got charisma. Um, he is... I mean, his character's arrogant, so it, it works. And I thought he did a fine job as being the, you know, just the, the young, uh, soon-to-be son-in-law to uh, Bruce Willis, who in a lot of ways is like a father figure to him, but he's always, Bruce Willis is not really approving of him because he's immature and making a lot of dumb choices and, 
et cetera, et cetera. But hey, I thought Ben Affleck fit the part. Then you got Liv Tyler, uh, better known as, uh, is it Eowyn? I got to look this up. She's in Lord of the Rings. That's that's why I got to figure this out. Lord of the Rings, Ao, Eowyn. That's both the E. No, oh, no, it's not. Eowyn is the daughter of the King of Rohan. Uh, let's see. It is, oh my gosh. Well, you know what? Why don't we just type in Liv Tyler? They're going to tell me how they spell it. Um, let's, okay. Um, no, that's just saying that she's in Lord of the Rings. I get that she's in Lord of the Rings, but who does she play? All the Lord of the Rings fans right now, they are screaming at me right now. They're like, why would you not just know this? Uh, Arwen. Okay. You know what? I'm not going to feel so bad about being confused about that. Arwen, Eowyn, come on. Uh, okay. But yeah, Liv Tyler, she's in this. Uh, she's great. She, you know, beautiful woman, very charming. And I, I think that her chemistry, I thought, with with Ben Affleck is believable. And I, in particular, actually enjoy the, the father-daughter relationship that she establishes with Bruce Willis and that... Um, she's trying to get out from her dad's shadow. She's trying to live her own life, but the dad's overprotective. There's some good classical parental themes going on there. I like it. Uh, Steve Buscemi. <laughs> Steve Buscemi is just one of those amazing character actors that anytime you see him, he is automatically going to make a movie likely be better, even if it's a bad movie or like maybe one of like Adam Sandler's like crappy movies. I'm looking at you, Hubie Halloween. Steve Buscemi, I think he is in it. He's in a lot of Sandler movies, but he plays like a werewolf or something in that. But anywho, I like Steve Buscemi's character in this because he is a pretty scummy dude, but he's likable. Uh, he's rockhound. He he likes women, and I think he's horny a lot, as the movie alludes to. Uh, he is not a moral man, I would say. He he again likes women very much. is is willing to do a lot of things with women, women he doesn't know very well, uh, women that. It may honestly be potentially underage as they allude to in one scene, but it's, it's, don't worry folks. It's, it's funny how they allude to it. If it, if that subject can be funny, I don't know. I, I, I better move on. <laughs> um, but I, I also like that he has like this backstory of him being like a former, like MIT professor, or he's actually like a super secret genius, but he ended up like kind of losing his mind a little bit. And it was just like, wow, fuck it. I want to go out to an oil rig and blow shit up and just live a totally radical life outside of the books. Uh, and I always thought that was actually really interesting about that character. Uh, but Steve Buscemi, he has a very unique personality, uh, very much likability about him, which you'll probably hear me say that about a lot of the cast of this movie. They all have this likable factor about them. But Steve Buscemi in particular... Uh, definitely found him very enjoyable in this. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton. I love Billy Bob Thornton. He is also somebody that not only is a great character actor, he's been a lead in a lot of movies. Uh, Sling, uh, Sling Blade in particular is a favorite. French fried potatoes. <laughs> uh, <laughs> Sling Blade. Sling Blade is an absolutely amazing movie. If you haven't seen that, highly recommend it. But Billy Bob Thornton just has like this gruffness to him. Don't you think he's got like this, this great, uh, gruff exterior to him. Uh, feels, he feels very authentic, pretty raw dude. Uh, doesn't have much of a filter in a lot of his movies, plays pretty authentic, honest people. Uh, and I don't know. I think, I think the guy's a hell of an actor. I mean, honestly, I think, I think he is great. And he, he plays, uh, uh, Truman. I, I, can't think of what his first name is, but I'm not going to look it up. <laughs> uh, but he is he's one of the heads of NASA that helps to coordinate the team coming together uh, to ultimately stop the asteroid from killing everybody on Earth. Uh, Owen Wilson's in this. Uh, this was... I, I, I'm not sure if Owen Wilson was really famous at the time of this movie. I don't think he was very much a, a big name. I think he's more... Um, I, I, would, I would call Owen Wilson an A-lister. We, we can call him that, right? Yeah, I think so. But Owen Wilson's in this, uh, you know, pl playing Owen Wilson, as you might expect of Owen Wilson going to the moon and, and destroying it. Or Wait a minute. Oh, my gosh. Not the moon. The asteroid. Sorry. The, the, the asteroid's very big. It, it, the surface reminded me of the moon. Uh, wow. Let's move on. <laughs> um, but anywho, so Owen Wilson. Uh, wow. Wow. 
uh, you always gotta you always gotta be fascinated by the people that try and do Owen Wilson impressions. Wow, wow, man, wow. Uh, okay, <laughs> I uh, wow. Oh yeah, I like doing the Owen Wilson impression. Wow, I'll <laughs> I'll re I'll revisit it again. Oh my god, why is that so funny to me? I don't know. Uh, wow. <laughs> okay, uh, Will William Fickner. Uh, William Fickner guy is also another really, really, really amazing character actor. Uh, you'd probably recognize him in movies like Heat. Uh, he makes an appearance in The Dark Knight. Uh, oh my god! Yeah, what, you know, I gotta look up. I gotta look up this guy's resume because he has a fantastic resume. Let's see. Uh, you'd also probably know him as uh, Mahone in Prison Break. Uh, pr <laughs> Prison Break, fantastic show. Um, oh yeah, okay, yeah. Here we go. Black Hawk Down. He was in that. He was in The Longest Yard, the Adam Sandler remake. Uh, he's in The Perfect Storm. He's in 12 Strong. Uh, he's in Elysium, Blaze of Glory, Contact. Uh, what are some other note, uh, note? Wait a minute, what? It says he's in Independence Day. Who is he in Independence Day? Hang on, what, what? we got to figure this out. I, I got to figure this out. William Fickner's in Independence Day? Hang on, let, okay, let's see. There's a lot of people in this movie, for sure. But I do not recall seeing him in there. And I've seen Independence Day a lot. Well, we'll have to figure that out. Somebody, somebody tell me. Who the hell is William Fickner in Independence Day? Anyway. Michael Clark Duncan, rest in peace. Uh, he is most notably known from his Oscar-nominated uh, uh, Oscar performance in The Green Mile. Uh, but he's great. I, I can't remember... He, I guess he's Bear. I think that's his character. He's just a really big, big, fun-loving, big, strong, awesome, kick-ass guy. I don't know. I'm doing a bad job of describing him, but I love Michael Clark Duncan. I, I do sorely miss him in movies. He, the guy had such great presence about him. Um, and I'm happy that he also got to work with Michael Bay again in the movie The Island. Uh, stars Ewan McGregor and and Scarlett Johansson and, and Sean Bean. Another good movie. Uh, but, oh, <clears throat> now we come to Peter Stormare, who, Peter Stormare, I, I said in the beginning of this episode that when I got to him, I got to give him a quick plug. Peter Stormare, I want you to get on Google right now, if you can, and I want you to look up the Peter Stormare Call of Duty commercials. Uh, they're for Black Ops 2, Call of Duty Black Ops 2, and he has a couple of commercials. One's called... Uh, the replace, yeah, oh, a couple of them are called the replacer. Just search call of duty, black ops Two, black ops three and four, uh, and look up the replacer. And it's a hilarious series of commercials that, that call of duty did for their games and whoever their marketing team deserves props because it is clever. It is funny. And it made me remember call of duty. So consider your jobs done marketing, but what those commercials do is it's Peter Stormare, very well-known character actor. He's dressed up in a suit and he's kind of, kind of leaning into like his sort of like mafioso creepy stereotype that he does in certain movies where he's like playing a criminal and he's like, Hey, how, like, how are you? He's like, I am here to replace you from your day to day life so that you can be free to play call of duty. He's like, I'll be here while you know, you're having to hold your hand's wife while she's giving birth or while you're doing taxes. And it's like all these, all these really like just obviously like real life scenarios that most people don't want to do, but he pretends to want to be there for you. Uh, anyway, it's, it's a sidetrack from Armageddon, but Peter Stormare, uh, you know, you'll recognize him from a lot of uh, uh, Coen brother movies, Fargo, Big Lebowski. Um, he's in uh, John Wick 2, I know would be a recent one I've seen him in. Uh, I think he actually, he's also, I think in prison break, I think he's in the first season, but he gets killed or stabbed or something. It's, it's a prison movie. So you can't be surprised. <clears throat> uh, uh, then you got Will Patton who Will Patton. That's another character actor. I would say that hardly ever gets the recognition he deserves a couple notable movies. I like him in, uh, the Punisher, uh, he is in Remember the Titans, I'd say is probably his most commercial role. Gone in 60 Seconds, and, and of course Armageddon. 
but the guy's the guy's been in a lot of movies, but he's just got a he's got a real down the earth sensibility about him, and uh, plays a plays again another one of the oil working crew members on uh, Harry Stan's uh, Harry Stamper's crew, Bruce Willis. Uh, and he's a he's like a, like a gambling addict, divorced father. He's made a lot of mistakes in life, so he is uh, his character is more of a redemption story when you look at uh, everybody else compared together. But Will Patton's a good one, and he's enjoyable in the movie. Uh, <clears throat> got Keith David. Keith David uh, again, just another incredible character actor. He's been in so many recognizable movies. Uh, I think I think his line that I always remember uh, with this, which I, I, you know, he might say the R word for it, so I'm not gonna, I'm not gonna say that. But he says, uh, "Are you trying to tell me that this group of blanks, uh, you know, like I don't, I wouldn't trust him with the potato gun." Hang on, what is, what does he say? Let's see, Keith David Armageddon potato potato gun quote. <laughs> I'm sure that'll come up. Ah, yes. He says, the fate of the planet is in a hand of a bunch of boop that I wouldn't trust with a potato gun. <laughs> uh, it, just very funny delivery. But yeah, I, I'm, I'm smart enough to not say that word on here. So we'll, we'll, we'll get around that. But he's great. Jason Isaacs, uh, who most, I'd say probably a lot of people today would know him as uh, Lucius Malfoy from the Harry Potter series. I, I think my favorite role I've ever seen with him was in The Patriot. He is a bad, bad lieutenant in that um, uh, for the British Calvary. Uh, the British Calvary that uh, basically is responsible for murdering part of Mel Gibson's family in that and is an all-around really just terrible human being in that movie. But he's a great actor, and I like him a lot in a lot of things I've seen him in. Um Chris Ellis is in this, which I don't, that that is probably by far uh, a name. If I mention any character actors, and you're like, oh well, like, you know, who's that one guy I see in all these movies, but I could never ever know who he is, but I like him when I see him in movies. Uh, that would be not Chris Elliott. Jeez, Google tries to tell me that that <clears throat> that Chris Ellis is the same as Chris Elliott, though I I can see the distinction on that. Chris. No, I tried to bring up Chris Elliott again. Chris Elliott, I don't, I don't want to see you. We're looking for Chris Ellis. Okay. And uh, there's a baseball player. Well, we don't care. We don't care about that. Yeah, we're looking for you, Chris Ellis. That was born on April fourteenth, nineteen fifty-six, in Dallas, Texas, USA. Why? <laughs> uh, that, we didn't need to share all that. But hey, the guy's been in a lot of movies, and yeah, it looks like a lot of Michael Bay movies. Uh, the Island, Transformers. The guy was in Apollo thirteen. Hello, it's a great movie. Uh, what else was he in? Because I, I got to give him more credit than than what he's due. Um, let's see. Uh, let's see. Apollo. I, I mentioned Apollo 13. Crimson Tide. It's another good movie. Uh, he made an appearance in the X-Files, apparently, at one point. Uh, he was in Con Air. Yeah, that's right. He is in Con Air. Not a Michael Bay. Uh, not, a, uh, yeah, not a Michael Bay movie, but it, it certainly could feel like a uh, Michael Bay movie. Ooh, he's in October Sky. That's another good one. But anyway, you, you get my point. Uh, Chris Ellis, I gave you your credit. I certainly tried. Um... And then Char uh, Charlton Heston, they, they got him as the narrator. I would love to hear how they recruited him for that, but he is the narrator in the beginning of this movie when he's talking about how mankind was wiped out from the dinosaurs and they're about to be wiped out again by an asteroid unless Bruce Willis and his friends can save the day. Yeah, um, that's the cast. I, <laughs> I don't know why, why am I feeling the need to be like so comedic on this. I, I don't know. That's just you know this is the tone of this episode. We're I I, I like it. We're we're gonna we're gonna just I, I'm going I'm going anyway. It don't matter. Um, so Aerosmith I have to talk about Aerosmith in this. So they they composed a lot of the music. Well, no, no, sorry, they didn't compose music for this. The music I think it was was it Trevor Trevor Rabin? Let's let me take a look here. I, I actually I got the Blu-ray. Yep. Yeah, good. My memory serves me right. The The music was by Trevor Rabin. Um, I like him. He's a good composer. But Aerosmith does supply a lot of songs to the movie, and I do believe that they particularly made the song Don't Want to Miss a Thing um, 
for this movie. I mean, I know they made a music video. It came out when this movie came out. Of course, Steven Tyler's daughter, Liv Tyler, is in the movie, so that certainly helps. But Aerosmith was a big part of the music in this movie. And I like it. Um, Aerosmith has, I mean, they're one of the great American rock bands, uh, legendary rock bands, in fact. And Steven Tyler, I'm I'm not going to complain when a movie that is is very much a, an America America movie uh, about a group of Americans going up to save the world. Uh, you know, it, it does have a lot of patriotic undertones. Uh, Aerosmith seems fitting. Uh, and, and it, I mean, Aerosmith has so many good songs. You know, Sweet Emotion. Uh, I mentioned Don't Want to Miss a Thing. You got Jaded. Um, you got um, Just Push Play. That's, a, that's an underrated one. Um, what 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 are what are other Aerosmith ones? They did that that remake of the Come Together song um, from the Beatles. Um, I mentioned Jaded. Then there's uh, J- Jamie got a gun. Ba boo ba 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 ba. That one. <laughs> uh, there's a there's another. Oh uh, oh my gosh! It's that song that they play in in Ace Ventura, the first one. Other side. I think it take me to the other side. Take me to the other. Okay. <laughs> you don't need to hear me saying, except you maybe do because don't want to miss a thing. Got to pause on that. It's a great song. Don't, I mean, don't you think, I, I think don't want to miss a thing is an absolutely fantastic song. I could even see, I could even see it being played at my wedding. Would people dance to it, though? I don't know. And I, I was... I think about that sometimes, too. It's like, why does every song at a wedding need to be some dancing party number? You know? It doesn't need to be that. What's wrong with having a powerful rock ballad that's all about love being played at your wedding? Like, I don't I don't care if people dance to it. You know what? Yeah. I think it's like I'm challenging myself right now when I talk about it. To play Don't Want to Miss a Thing when you get married, Jordan. You You should do it. It doesn't matter if nobody else is dancing to it. If they can't, if they can't handle Steven Tyler's loud, intense scream over love, well, maybe they shouldn't be at your wedding. Yeah. <laughs> where, where am I going? Yeah, I'm not going anywhere with that. That's uh, except I am, and I'm being serious about it. Yes, I'm gonna listen to myself on that for sure. Okay, but. The thing I want to talk about with Don't Want to Miss a Thing in this movie is, in particular, and somebody can look this up if I am mistaken, but I always remember that I think the first time it plays in the movie is when is when Liv Tyler is being serenaded with animal crackers by Ben Affleck. Uh, they're at, like, some, like, you know, beautiful, picturesque countryside, like, cabin or something, and, like, they got, like, a little picnic spread out in the grass, She's got her shirt open, so like her, she's got like a bra on and her blouse is open and everything, and and I guess he Ben Affleck thinks it's uh, uh, romantic to take these animal crackers and pretend like he's shooting an episode of National Ge- uh, National Geographic's Wild Kingdom on her chest. Uh, I don't know about that, but I just find the irony strange that a song that is, you know, very very powerful romantic song and I do mean that in the most serious sense of the world I, I, I think the song is uh, a great love song but you're sing you're playing a song while a man is serenading and no doubt about to make love to your daughter and <laughs> I don't know I mean I wonder if Steven Tyler thought about that maybe he didn't know they were gonna put the song in there maybe the editors or the maybe maybe Trevor Rabin has no idea that he was going for that or maybe it's some weird inside joke maybe I'm the only weird person that's thinking about this but I don't know <laughs> I just I always thought I always think about that that scene uh when I hear that song um and then actually also the movie Blades of Glory because that's a fantastic use of the song in that movie but Anywho, I digress. So on to talking about like the actual story itself. Um, you know, I it's got a ragtag team of people. They get together. They got to save the Earth because it's going to get blown up from this asteroid. And I think it's like, God, is it they say like, like it's going to hit Earth in like 10 days. Do they train in like three days or a week? I don't know. They 
it's certainly not enough, what, whatever they do. But, you know, that's not really the point. You get a lot of fun montages of them training. And it's, it is an overall enjoyable time. But that said for the story, I like the story. I've already talked about how much I like the cast. I, I like when they go up to the asteroid. And when they're actually on the asteroid, I mean, I think that's when the movie actually gets, uh, you know, relatively serious. And I think you feel the stakes for it. Um, and the, the, the set design and special effects, I think, on the movie are actually also of particular... They're, they're worth mentioning for a couple of reasons. Uh, one, I think they hold up actually pretty well. Uh, I mean, the meteor asteroid uh, asteroid that they're on, uh, it looks pretty good. I, I don't know if they built a set for it or if they if they did utilize like any blue screens or anything like that. I, I think a lot of it is a fairly practical set. Uh, and I think it looks good. It's very menacing. The, the, the rocks look razor sharp. Uh, and you feel like the crew's stress and perils when they're up on the actual asteroid themselves. And like a few of them die. I think like, you know, one of the ships doesn't even land correctly and a bunch of them die. And, and so a lot of things go wrong when they're up there and you feel like their emotions and they're like, holy shit. Like, you know, we, we came up here too quickly. Did we even think this through? Um, I like, I like the character's dynamic that they show of them, like having the struggle dealing with, uh, just the the sheer pressure of having to save the entire human race from from this thing and, and to not even know if you'd be able to do it i don't know uh it's it's a it's a crazy thing to think about and i don't even know what i would do in a situation like that if i if i got pulled out of my element and was just like hey jordan uh, apparently you possess a qualification that is going to help you save the entire planet uh yeah like you're in you're doing it any questions you have no choice, by the way, because we're all going to die. I don't know what that would do. Uh, I really don't. But, yeah. I don't know. Just an interesting thing to think about, for sure. Special effects are pretty good. I mean, Michael Bay, say what you will about the guy, but the guy knows effects. Even though there are some times where things explode in this movie where you're like, okay, I don't think that would really look that way when it explodes, but, eh, you know, sometimes Michael Bay, damn it, you make me succeed in turning my brain off and not caring. Except when you make those Transformer movies, I, I'm not going to forgive you for all those, except the first one. I, I like the first one. Um, speaking of the planet, I, I guess I, you know, no, I, I talked about that a little bit. It's just, you know, how far would you go to save the planet? You ever, I mean, do you ever think about that? Well, first off, would someone even ask you to go and save the planet? I don't know if they would. I mean, if you have a particular skill, may maybe you have some sort of a qualification that would help you to, to do that, but in, in all likelihood, probably not. I mean, who, who all is actually really capable of saving the planet? You know, scientists, physicists, uh, I guess in this case, uh, deep sea oil drillers, they, they can do it. I don't know. <laughs> but I guess... In a hypothetical sense, if I were to be asked to save the planet, if I had any chance to actually be able to do it and it was a life or death thing, of course I would try. I'd have to try. I mean, why wouldn't I try? What am I going to do? Just like sit there and wait for death to come and get me? No, I'd rather go out. I'd rather go out swinging uh, than, than anything else. So, yeah, I, I would try. What about you? Yeah, yeah, that's right. Yeah, I am asking you. You don't think I'm asking you, but I am asking you. Would you do it? Would you do it? If you had deep sea uh, oil drilling training, would you go do it? Or even if you didn't, would you do it? Why am I asking you would you do it so much? Why do, Why am I pressuring you so much into this question? Is the earth ending tomorrow? No. No, it is not. But I'm asking anyway. So you think about that. You, you think about that long and hard. I, I don't know. All right. Let's keep going. Um... Weirdly enough, I remember, I, now grant you, this was 1998 when this came out, but I remember at the time it was quite popular to ask, uh, what's better, Deep Impact or Armageddon? Now, Deep Impact came out in May of 1998, and and then Armageddon came out in, in June, to, at the very end of June, I should mention. So there was like a bit of time, but that ain't much of a window. And I always find it strange when, when that happens, don't you? I think that's strange when a movie 
a very similar premises and ends up not only getting made but coming out within a month of each other. It's very odd, very odd indeed. But I've seen I've I've seen Deep Impact. I think I've seen it twice. I actually watched it once in school. I remember actually for some reason uh, in high school uh, we watched Deep Impact. I guess it had something. Maybe it was in like my geology class or something. Something about rocks. I don't know. I, I don't really honestly remember the accurate science of, of Deep Impact, but again, someone could probably correct me on that. But I will say Armageddon, I, th- I still think it's a better movie. I mean, for one, it's certainly a more memorable movie. I really, really do not recall a lot of people going back and being like, oh, I love Elijah Wood in Deep Impact or Morgan Freeman. I think he's in that or Robert Duvall. It's so, it's so good. Oh, there's so many things I can remember about it. Okay, really? You know, tell, tell me something you remember about Deep Impact. I'll go ahead and wait and listen to the crickets. Yeah, that's what I thought. There's not really much to talk about with Deep Impact, but with Armageddon, I think there is. I think there is, but I don't know. You be the judge. Tell me, does, he, does Deep Impact mean something to you over Armageddon? It, it certainly really doesn't to me. Uh, I don't think it's all that memorable of a movie, and I don't think it holds up as well, albeit imperfect, as as Armageddon. Now, very last thing that I'm going to talk about for this movie is the emotional ending. The and and you know what? I do mean the emotional ending. Okay, I've seen this movie a few times, and yes, spoiler alert: when Bruce Willis has to make the ultimate call, because of course, go figure the remote detonator uh, that's supposed to be able to be blown, or the bomb, sorry, I'm, I'm kind of rambling here a bit. There is a bomb that gets planted on this meteor, and then towards the end of the movie, there's supposed to be a device that helps the bomb to be blown up remotely from, from their ship as they're flying away. But go figure, the device gets broken, and someone has to stay behind and sacrifice themselves, otherwise... It, it can't be blown. It's got to be blown manually, not remotely. And so people draw straws. Uh, Bruce Willis, or no, AJ, AJ, Ben Affleck, he gets to go and he's like, oh, oh, I'm so crushed. I can't be with Liv Tyler and the Animal Crackers. Oh. <laughs> so I'm, t- I'm totally completely undercutting the actual emotion of the scene because... I don't know, this whole episode, I've given it kind of a jokey vibe, haven't I? So I'm going to ride it out to the end. But he he draws the straw. He's very emotional. He doesn't want to go. And then Bruce Willis is like, he's like, don't worry, kid. I'll walk you down. I'll walk you down to, the, to your death. Don't worry about it. That's my Bruce Willis impression. It's it's not good at all. It's like deep, masculine man. Uh, yippee-ki-yay. <laughs> anyway, so... Ben Affleck, he gets escorted down by Bruce Willis, and then that's when Bruce Willis does the ultimate switcheroo and shoves uh, Ben Affleck out of the way, forces him back into the airlock, and it's just like, okay, bye, bye, bitch. Like, I'm going to blow this up. And then Ben Affleck, like, screams, cries. He's like, no, Harry. He's like, I love you. He's like, I love you like a father. Please don't do this. Like, you have a daughter back home. And it is quite sad. I just was slamming it for the last few minutes, but... I think it's actually well done. I think you grow to care about Bruce Willis towards the end of the movie. And anytime the protagonist, the main character of the movie, is making a sacrifice play in a movie, even if the movie is really not all that great, it's an emotional thing when someone's willing to end their life for for uh, a big a big thing. And in this case, the human race and his daughter, and you know, and, and that and and her getting to grow old with with the person that he didn't really agree with, but he respects that, that the guy loves uh, his daughter. I mean, there's, there's paternal, there's paternal themes that are being explored with that. And I I mean that in, in all sincerity and especially at the end of Armageddon, I think it gets carried across. Well, I think the emotion is very much felt in that scene when he's saying goodbye to her. And then when he, when he does blow himself up, I thought it was actually a very stylized way to show um, his life flashing before his eyes and and him feeling joy knowing that that his daughter's life would go on but that his would end I mean there's a sad poetic tragedy to the two two things like that yes even in a movie like Armageddon uh, I think that's definitely there 
So, so you know, there you go. Um, wow. Do I have anything else I want to say about Armageddon? I don't know. I think Armageddon, it speaks for itself. It's pure escapism. It's good time. It's a lot of fun. There's some great quotable moments in it. There actually is some good strong emotional scenes to it. And even with some choppy editing, rush story elements, uh, act, you know, oh, geez, sorry. I, what did I do? I, sorry, I, I slammed the, I slammed the Blu-ray on the PC. Um, it, it doesn't matter. Don't ask how I did that. But if I'm talking about actually one of the rush story elements in the movie, I always thought it was like super weird that AJ, after he gets fired, Ben Affleck off of the oil rig that within like a day, he suddenly opens up his com- his own oil refinery business in like the middle of some field in Texas. Like that's one of those things where like if you revisit it, you're like, uh, that's not plausible. That makes no sense. How did all this happen? What? Like you felt like there was a deleted scene or two that should have been included to kind of stitch that up, but the movie just didn't have time to include. But anywho, I think I've stated my case for Armageddon. It's a fun movie, okay? It's not one that you have to take all too seriously, just like this episode. So there you go. That's what I got to say about it. That's that. All right. That is going to wrap it up for for today's episode of Screen Speak. So I really sincerely appreciate you all again coming by and giving it a listen. Uh, and that's it. So just go ahead, head into this weekend. I hope you all have a great weekend ahead. And I'll catch you all here in the next episode. Take care.